My name is Austin Ganyo and I'm from Ghana, West Africa. Um, yeah, I think probably my worst uh, feel of isolation was uh, when I was on a three-day uh, three bus ride from Ghana to Niger. That was my first time going, and it was by road. For this long period of time, I was on, in a bus that was not air-conditioned, and everyone on that, that bus, it was during the Muslim month of, of fasting, and um, they would stop, you know, during the times of the Islamic prayers, and almost like 90-95% of the, the people on the bus would go down to pray and you know I, I obviously to them they knew that I was not fasting I was not praying and it it, it, it was really a, a, a time of that I felt lonesome even though I was in Africa I felt really alone because there were I didn't have any Christian brothers you know around me Morning, church. One of the things that I love about living in the English-speaking world is that we have access to a large number of different translations of the Bible, and I like reading any given text from multiple versions because different wordings kind of help us get the richness and the flavor of the meaning of the text without actually having to be a Greek or a Hebrew scholar. We can let some other smart people do the hard work for us. And so we're going to read through our text today in a couple different versions. Our text is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Kayla's going to read it for us in the NIV. First, she's just going to read it out loud to us, and then we're all going to read it out loud together a second time in the message paraphrase. And it's, it's a little bit long, but bear with me. And I know we don't do this very often, but would you mind standing with me today for the reading of God's Word? All right. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Do this to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks, Kayla. And now let's read this all out loud together in the message paraphrase. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. 
Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. They are God's emissaries for keeping order. It is God's will that by doing good, you might cure the ignorance of the fools who think you're a danger to society. Exercise your freedom by serving God, not by breaking the rules. Treat everyone you meet with dignity. Love your spiritual family. Revere God. Respect the government. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters, not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you're treated badly for good behavior, continue in spite of it to be a good servant. That is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited to, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. How do you live when everybody is watching? We sometimes talk about the opposite of that question, about how your character is who you are when nobody's watching, when nobody else is around, which is a good and helpful thing to think through. But that's the opposite of the question that we're asking today. Today's question is, how do you live when everybody is watching? Because I think we all do live a little differently when we think we're being watched. Can we just do a really honest exercise with each other this morning to try to prove this theory? You guys promise you're not gonna lie to me today? Can we promise to be honest? Yeah, you're laughing. This should be the easiest thing you do. Let's promise, nod your head. Yes, I promise to be honest. Okay, I'm gonna ask you some questions and I want you to raise your hand if this is true. In the last month, how many of you have bitten your nails? Raise your hand. Okay, good, thank you, all right. In the last month, how many of you have sung in the shower? Okay, good, we got some rock stars in here, okay. In the last month, how many of you have drank from the milk jug without using a cup? Your mothers would be ashamed. Um, In the last month, how many of you have talked out loud to the TV or worse, to yourself? 
Oh, there we go. All right. All right. Lots of personalities in here. Um, in the last month, how many of you have busted out a little dance move thinking nobody else was looking? Okay. All right. And here is the grand finale. In the last month, how many of you have picked your nose while you're driving around in the car? Yeah, we got some liars in this room. There are more of you. Cracks me up when people do this. It's like, I can see you behind that windshield. You know, it's, it's clear. <laughs> Kills me every time. And we could go on and on and on. But the point is this. We live differently when we think we're being watched. And Peter makes it really clear today that we are indeed being watched. He says, hey, God is watching you. For one, he calls God the overseer of your soul. But Peter also says that the world is watching. And we know this to be true. We know that the world has a microscope on the church right now that they are watching us and they are ready to hurl their accusations, saying that we're intolerant, saying that we hate homosexuals and liberals and minorities and women, that we are judgmental, that we're hypocrites, that we can't even get along with each other. You've heard these things just like I have. The world is watching and they're waiting, they're ready to pounce. And so the question remains, how do you live when everybody's watching? Peter says in verse 12 that we should live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So in other words, you should be living such a good life that when somebody's getting ready to mouth off and talk about how awful Christians are to your neighbor, your neighbor thinks, well, not Bill. Bill's not like that. Or no, no, Christy, she's so loving. That's, that's not her at all. That's what your neighbor should think because of how you're living. And so our question remains, how do you live when everybody's watching? I, our text today that we've already read through twice kind of acts as a hinge within the book of 1 Peter that the whole book swings on. So far in the book, Peter's been talking about doctrine, about our status as exiles, about our new birth that we've been given, about our calling as the people of God. And now Peter's gonna swing from doctrine to duty. Peter's been telling us what to believe, and now he's going to tell us how to behave. The lessons have been learned, and now the calories need burn. And so he's going to ask this question and answer it for us. How do we live when everybody's watching? And in a word, Peter says, submit. Submit. Live a life of submission. Because after all, he says, Jesus himself came and lived a life of submission. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. He said that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. He said, if you wanna save your life, you gotta lose it. He said that if you humble yourself, then you'll be exalted. He said that if someone hits you, you should let them smack you on the other side too. He said, love your enemies. He said, say nice things to the people who slander you. He said, send up a prayer for the person who's a pain in your neck. Jesus came and he lived a life of submission, washing the dirty, nasty feet of his unworthy followers. And then at the end of his life, Jesus prayed a prayer of submission to God the Father saying, not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus, this man who lived a life of submission, also died a death of submission. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, he didn't run away or hide. He went with them willingly. 
And when Jesus was tried illegally in the middle of the night, when he was lied against and slapped around, even though he was innocent, he didn't resist. He just took it. And when the soldiers spit on him and whipped him and jammed a crown of thorns on his head and draped a purple robe on his back and then ripped it off so that it took whatever little shreds of flesh were left on his back with it, he didn't yell. He didn't say, don't you dare come near me with that whip again or I'll punch your face in. He didn't call down fire from heaven. And then when they nailed Jesus to that cross for all to see so that everybody was watching him bleed and suffocate and die, he didn't say, oh, you just wait till judgment day. You're gonna get what's coming to you. No, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what they're doing. And Peter tells us that 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 is how we're supposed to live when everybody's watching. That if we claim today to be followers of Jesus, that if we are the people of God, then we're called to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived, a life of submission, We heard Peter say here in verse 21, he says, to this you were called, meaning the cross, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So follow the steps of Jesus, Peter's saying. Can you see those steps in the dusty Jerusalem streets? Those footprints mingled with drops of blood. Those are the steps we're called to walk in. But be careful, because they lead to a cross. And that, that, that cross, that suffering that Jesus did as the innocent one, Peter says, that's an example for us. And, and actually that word example that Peter uses is the Greek word hupogramas, hupogramas. Can you let me nerd out here for a second? Is that all right? The word hupogramas literally means something written underneath. And so what Peter wants us to picture here is like one of those little books that a preschooler uses when they're learning how to write for the first time and they're learning how to make their letters. And so inside the book, there's this big, bold outline of the letter W and the preschooler is gonna go trace that letter W to learn how to write the letter. And Peter's saying that that's what the cross is for us, that it's a model for how we should live. We're supposed to trace our life, trace the cross with our life. We're supposed to let our life be cross-shaped. Inside your program that you got when you came in here today, there should be a little insert. And on that insert, you'll see a portion of our scripture and underneath it is an outline of the cross. Would you take that insert out right now? And I want you to just run your finger there around the shape of the cross. Just trace the cross. That's the pattern, the shape that your life should take. Trace the cross with your life, submit like Jesus did. That's how we live when everybody's watching. And so this begs the question then, how do we submit? What does this look like practically? And Peter's gonna spend the rest of the letter telling us, he's gonna tell us what this cross-shaped life of submission looks like in things like relationships and government and work and marriage and here in the church. And specifically, we'll kind of hold off on marriage and the church. We'll come back to that at a later time. But for our rest of our time together today, I want to take a look at what this cross-shaped life of submission looks like in relationships, government, and in work. Sound all right? Let's start with relationships. What does this look like? Well, I think maybe the author Richard Foster said it best. He says of submission that it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. In other words, he's saying, practice the discipline of not getting your way. Oh, 
Now, there's a hundred different ways that we could go with this, but let's just look at one for now. What about when you don't feel appreciated? If you're anything like me, sometimes we can be doing all the right things on the outside, but on the inside, our heart's not exactly in the right place. Can I just confess today that sometimes I can be incredibly arrogant? I've actually had the thought multiple times, wow, Rebecca is the luckiest woman on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) To have me for a husband, oh my. (laughs) Now, let's say, hypothetically speaking, of course, that I have the perfect husband day. And let's say that I wake up early and I get the boys up and get them ready and I make breakfast and I bring breakfast to Rebecca in bed because of course I've let her sleep in. And then I, before I leave for work, I leave her a love note there on the bathroom mirror. And then when I get to work, I send her several thoughtful text messages throughout the day. I even call her once just to see how she's doing. And then I come home with flowers and chocolate. And unbeknownst to her, I've hired a babysitter so that I can take her out to dinner, just her and I, to her favorite fine dining establishment, (laughs) Chick-fil-A. And then we come home and I give her the foot rub of her life and I tell her 25 reasons why I love her and then we cuddle, just cuddle, and she falls asleep in my arms. (laughs) Now, is that the best husband day ever or what? (laughs) That's never actually happened, but um, (laughs) let's say hypothetically that it did, okay? for the sake of the argument here. Now, I know myself well enough to know what I would be thinking by the end of that day. I'd be thinking, now she better really appreciate me for this. She better kiss the ground I walk on after today. And I know that I would be disappointed because my motives were impure. I was a little twisted in how I went about it. The outside looked fine, but the inside was a little messed up. Rebecca and I have a friend who likes to say, uh, you know, we all say we wanna be servants, And then we don't really like it when we actually get treated like one. And I don't know about you, but I I feel that sometimes. So how do you live when you don't feel appreciated? Maybe you've felt this before. Maybe you're in a relationship where the other person hasn't said for a really long time, hey, thanks for everything you're doing. I love you. Or maybe it's your parents. <laughs> maybe your parents, it's just never enough with them. They're never satisfied. You're never good enough. They can never just say, hey, good job. Or maybe it's your kids. I mean, you carried them for nine months. You gave birth to them. You gave them the best years of your life, countless loads of laundry, thousands of dollars worth of French fries, diapers that would make Frankenstein gag. Those gray hairs in your head, those are from them. And they have no idea. They're not even grateful. <laughs> How do you live? when you don't feel appreciated. Maybe instead of getting self-righteous or bitter or resentful or selfish or keeping score in our head like we sometimes do, maybe we could just trace the cross. Maybe we could submit, practice the discipline of not getting our own way like Jesus did. After all, he, he trusted God. He knew that God saw him, that God loved him, that God approved. The only affirmation he needed was from God. He didn't really need it from everybody else. And that was enough. What if we lived like that? Practice the discipline of not getting your way. I think that's maybe what a cross-shaped life looks like in the, contents of, uh, in the context of relationships. But what about government? Uh, what about in relation to our country, those in authority over us? What does this cross-shaped life of submission look like? Because we've been talking this whole series about how we're strangers here. We're foreigners and exiles. We're citizens of heaven. 
And yes, that is true. Yes, my primary citizenship is in heaven, but my passport also says I'm a citizen still of the U.S. of A. So I kind of have this dual citizenship going on. So how do I function living in the United States of America? Well, uh, Peter actually says that the government was put in place by God. Verses 13 and 14, Peter says this. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So Peter says the government's actually sent by God. Later in verse 17, Peter says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Get this, he says, honor the emperor. Kind of amazing that he tells us to honor the emperor considering that the emperor at the time he's writing is Nero. Nero, the guy who would eventually impale the bodies of Christians on stakes and coat them in pitch and tar and light them on fire, burning them alive to light his gardens at night, Nero. So clearly Peter's not saying here that every little thing a government ever does is sanctioned by God. But he is saying that we have a duty to respect the government as an institution originally installed by God. So what does this cross-shaped life of submission look like in relationship to the government? Well, three little words, I think. Respect, obey, and pray. First, respect. Peter says we're supposed to show proper respect to everyone. That means even those who disagree with us. I'm pretty sure we have a lot of political opinions in this room. We've got bleed red Republicans and true blue Democrats, and yet we're called to respect even those who disagree with us. And then he says, honor the emperor. Now, we're living in a society where sometimes it's fairly difficult to honor those who are put in authority over us. We have people who are paid full time to dishonor those in authority, to make fun of and slander and attack our government officials. And yet, like them or not, Peter says it's our job to speak respectfully about those in authority over us, whether or not we agree with them. After all, Jesus was even respectful to Herod and to Pilate and to the high priest, even when they were cowards and crooks conspiring to kill him. So respect. And secondly, Peter says, obey. Quite simply, we're supposed to be people who obey the law. Jesus said this too. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We should be people who pay our taxes, people who learn and live by the law of the land. I got a speeding ticket a few weeks ago. <laughs> and to be totally honest, I didn't really think it was fair. I wasn't really sure I deserved it. But I paid the ticket because I'm supposed to follow the law and respect those in authority. And I was speeding. <laughs> I won't tell you how fast. <laughs> the only time I ever have an excuse to disobey the laws of the United States of America is when they come into conflict with the law of God. Peter himself said that in the book of Acts. He said, we must obey God rather than men. And yet, I don't know that I've personally ever been in a scenario where the law of the land has forced me to do something different than the law of God. I've not been in a scenario like that yet. So I should be a person who obeys the law and you should too. So respect, obey, and thirdly, pray. And perhaps this is the one we overlook the most. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So it's our job to pray for the school board and the court system and the president and Congress and rulers all around the world. We should pray that they would come to know God. We should pray that God's will would be done through them. They need our prayer. 
So how does uh, this cross-shaped life of submission look like in relationship to the government? Respect, obey, and pray. Relationships, practice the discipline of not getting your way. Government, respect, obey, and pray. How does this cross-shaped life of submission look like, though, in relationship to work? Let's take a look. Peter says, in verse 18, he says this. He says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, Now let's pause for just a second right here because Peter is talking about slavery. And one of the common objections that people have against the Bible is that they think the Bible condones slavery. And unfortunately, scripture has been used to do just that. Both sides of the Civil War used the Bible to justify their cause. And so people look at texts like this one here in 1 Peter and they say, well, of course the Bible's pro-slavery. Why else would Peter tell them to submit to a harsh master? Shouldn't he be telling the slaves to earn their freedom and their independence to escape or to resist? Well, let's look a little bit closer. You see, first century slavery was quite different from the slavery that we think of, the slavery that we've experienced here in America in the new world. In America, slavery was racial. It was based on your race. But in the first century, it wasn't. You couldn't distinguish a slave by the color of their skin, by their speech, by their race. The slaves looked like everybody else. In America, slaves were often in desperate poverty. But in the Roman Empire, most of the time, slaves were well-fed and secure. They were often more educated than their masters. Slaves were doctors and musicians and sea captains and teachers and accountants and librarians, you name it. In America, slaves were slaves for life. Not so in the first century. In the first century, most of the slaves could reasonably hope to raise enough money within a decade or so to buy their own freedom, and many did. And yet, I'm not trying to say that slavery was okay. It it is not, it was not, it never is. It is an evil institution, because even then, though slavery looked different, they still treated human beings as property, not as real legal persons. And that's what makes what Peter is doing here so radical, because he's talking to the slaves, not like their property, but like their people. People with dignity and the ability to make their own decisions and moral fiber. He's giving them dignity, he's raising their status. And it was things like that, that Bible-based belief in the equality of all people because of the image of God, that Christian belief that all people were worthy of dignity and forgiveness and freedom. It was those seeds of belief that eventually did, slowly and steadily, lead to the eradication of slavery in Europe and in Africa, and in America, and continues to liberate the enslaved all around the world today. But for this specific scenario in our text, if Peter would have told those slaves to rebel, then that little ragtag group of slaves would have been crushed, along with their Christian message. And so Peter tells them, it's not the time yet. Trace the cross. Live a life of submission. Use your freedom to serve. Be the best slaves you can possibly be. And that has some sometimes difficult workplace parallels for us. Because it's really easy to follow a boss who treats you well and always makes the right decisions, right? But what about a boss who takes the credit for your success? A boss who's lazy or incompetent or rude. What do you do then? Well, Peter says... Submit, be kind anyway, work hard anyway. Be known for going the extra mile. Be known for your unflappable integrity and uncompromising honesty. 
Like the Apostle Paul says, work as if you're working for the Lord, not for some man. Work as if Jesus was sitting at the desk next to you. If Jesus sat next to you at work, how would you work? If Jesus was your boss, how would you work? Okay, so work like that for your real boss then. That's how you live a cross-shaped life of submission at work. So in relationships, practice the discipline of not getting your way. With government, respect, obey, and pray. And at work, work like you're working for Jesus. Why? Because the world is watching. They're watching how we save for retirement. They're watching what we do in retirement. They're watching how we talk to our spouse and how we discipline our kids and how we spend our money, how we speak about our in-laws, what we post on Facebook, what we watch and where we go and who we spend time with and how hard we work and how honest we are and what we drive and how we deal with conflict and how we face tragedy and what we do in our free time. They're watching us. In the summer of 1805, a large group of Native American chiefs and warriors got together for a council in Buffalo Creek, New York, to hear a preacher give a gospel presentation. And after the sermon, one of the leading Native American chiefs, a man named Red Jacket, went up to the Christian preacher and he said this. He said, brother, you say that there's but one way to worship and serve the great spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree? You can all read the book. Brother, we've been told that you've been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We're acquainted with them. So we will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. And if we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Native Americans, we will then consider again of what you have said. So church, How will you live when everybody's watching? How will you live the next time your boss asks you to fudge some numbers? How will you live the next time somebody tries to bait you into bad-mouthing the president? How will you live the next time you don't feel like you're getting the credit you deserve? How will you live the next time your ex is harsh with you and accuses you of something you didn't do? I hope you'll trace the cross. I hope you'll submit. I hope that maybe you'll take that little piece of paper with the scripture and the cross on it and you'll put it up where you need to see it, on your desk or your dashboard or your mirror or your bedside table, wherever you have the most trouble submitting and looking like Jesus, put it there. And let's be people who look like Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, first of all, we wanna obey your command to pray pray for those in authority over us. Uh, good or bad, whether or not we agree, and especially when we don't. Sometimes it's really hard to follow and submit and obey. It's hard to know how to act, Lord, as salt and light in this world, as your people, citizens of another realm, but yet living in this one. So we pray for those in authority over us at every level that they would know you and that you would establish your justice and your mercy on this world through their work. And we pray that the way we treat them would lead them to you. And we know, Jesus, that you came and that you lived this radical life of humility and submission and sacrifice and service and that ultimately you suffered even when you were innocent so that we could come to know God. And it's our prayer that as we live that same kind of life that you're now empowering us to live because of your blood, that people would come to know God through us. Thank you so much 
for dying the death that we deserved, for taking the punishment for our sin, for washing us in your blood so that we could live for you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.